It's a peaceful protest. We walking, raising awareness. Some of the injustice that we've been seeing is not okay. And as a young person, you gotta you gotta listen to our perspective. Our voices need to be heard. People are gonna look back. Our kids are gonna look back at this and say, "You were a part of that." I got a grandfather that marched next to Dr. King in the '60s, and he was amazing. He would be proud to see us all here. We gotta keep pushing forward. Sports are like the reward of a functional society. Sirius XM Sports presents Forward Progress, a weekly open conversation on race and sports in America. Here are your hosts, Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison. Great to be back together. Great to talk to you, Kirk, Jax, the whole crew. A little bit later, we go pioneering, don't we, Kirk? We go pioneer yeah. back into the mid-40s. <laughs> African-American pioneers in the National Football League. Uh, our old buddy Keyshawn Johnson leading the way uh, in inscribing uh, that particular history. A little bit later, we'll get into taunting or not taunting. What is the answer? We'll talk about it. Uh, but first... Somebody was walking in Memphis. Somebody went over and got his soul <laughs> shook up. Um, the Lorraine Motel and the Civil Rights National Civil Rights Museum are located in Memphis, Tennessee, on the site where the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King was assassinated. And if you ever find yourself in Memphis, Tennessee, enjoy the food, enjoy the music, and then get your ass over to the Lorraine Motel. It's that simple. Um, <laughs> right. It's life altering. Uh, I've been, to, I go to that space every year, except for the last couple of years, uh, since I started covering the NBA. And Kirk, I absolutely love every trip there, but it is eerie, is it not? Yeah, man, Jax, um, very eerie. It was eye-opening. It was a lot. And for me, I am uh, the biggest tourist um, I am a guy who I love every town that I go in, whether it's a small town, big town. My travels through college football and the NFL have brought me to some places that honestly I probably would never be at. You know, I would never travel to, Jax. But I do want to see culture. I want to embrace what the city is all about uh, and see what really makes this city go. And when I got the call, well, not the call, well, a couple of weeks ago when I had my assignment and said, okay, Mississippi State at Memphis, my immediate thoughts were, wow, okay, I'm going to Memphis. Number one is, like you mentioned, I'm going to go find some barbecue now. <laughs> I need to find some barbecue. <laughs> yes, that was number one on my list, right? But then as I dived a little deeper, I was like, man, the Lorraine Motel. Um, something that I grew up and you read it in the history books, you read it in Black History Month. Every time the remembrance of Dr. Martin Luther King's passing, um, it would come about the story of where he took his last breath. And you've seen the documentaries, you've seen the videos, you've seen um, just everything that was kind of taking place at the time, especially in our country during the whole civil rights movement mm -hmm. and the boys bus boycotts and the, the workers boycotts, all this, it's, it was a lot going on in our country. And yet for me, I said, wow, I, I, I have to go. And so I started immediately making plans. Okay. I'm going to go grab my, um, see how far is it? And literally from the hotel that I was staying in, 
it was a half a mile away. And I was like, no way. Not this, not this historic place. You know what I mean? This landmark place of remembrance. And then on me, you know, I get excited too, because right behind it, or not too far is the FedEx Forum, like you mentioned, uh, where the Memphis Grizzlies play at. So, you know, here you get the chance to see, you know, there goes the arena. Oh, wow. So that's the, the grindhouse. That's what everyone talks about when you talk about the Memphis Grizzlies. Okay. So, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm just a fan in, in that part of it. But then it became really eerie when you come up to that street uh, that it's on and you look and you just start to, I can't even describe, Jax, the emotions that really start to come over you as you begin to walk up and walk around just that place and to see the, the pictures and they have a little um, a little small little uh, booth that plays a video mm-hmm. that shows you what all took place, the, the pictures of the men who are on the balcony. I learned, I, honestly, I learned so much because things that I never really remembered. Um, and it was just a security guard, man. I wish I could have got his name. I need to give props to my guy, the security guard who was there. Because he definitely, it was another, you know, another African-American man, a black man. He sees me and he can see, get, get a sense that I, I'm, I'm having this powerful moment. And he looks at me and he says, this is pretty deep, huh? I said, yes, it's deep, man. He said, you want to know anything else? I got you. I'm like, what you mean you got me? Like, he's like, I, was, yeah. So, and he was just telling me more and more things that, you know, that's, I didn't necessarily know. And the one thing is that there is actually a Lorraine hotel and a Lorraine motel. Mm. They're both connected. And I was, I, was, I was like, yeah, I just noticed that. Yeah, why is that? So because whites were allowed to stay in the inside of the Lorraine hotel. Blacks had to stay outside in the motel. They weren't allowed in the inside of the hotel. I was like, wow, I never knew that. And then the the path of the bullet that hit Dr. Martin Luther King is actually paved in the street. The actual line of the bullet, it's you can see the trajectory of which it hit Dr. King from the window that's still open across the way. Like it was so many eerie things. And me and him just having a conversation, Jackson. Like I said, there, there's been some things in my life that I've witnessed and been a part of. And there's things I went to and places of remembrance and things like that. It it, it can't compare, man. It, it truly has. I mean, you can, I, I put a couple pictures up on my, uh, you know, Twitter account at Kirk Morrison, just kind of go back, scroll back. <laughs> And you can see some of the photos and things that I took that really, man, for that, I was only there probably 20 minutes, but it felt like time had stopped. Honestly, man. And I don't know how, you know, for you, you've, you've probably been back many times, you said with, with basketball, but for me, I just, I really just was froze. I, I froze for a while and just felt like the ancestors of yesterday kind of talking to me, speaking to me mm. and you're reliving probably what happened at that time and you just picturing it all happening right here on this exact street um one of the most powerful things i, I think I've, I've ever been a part of in my life my most recent visit was a part of a montage that we were doing in atlanta memphis and dc 
to commemorate uh, Martin Luther King Day and the celebration the NBA does so well each year. And I found myself in uncomfortable, Kirk. Yeah. Filming a television element, even though it's honoring Dr. King, we're talking about him and his message. I was like, man, this feels so wrong to be up in this spot where this man was assassinated, you know, providing this message. It's not the first time, nor will it be the last. But for me, right. it just felt uncomfortable. I felt unworthy. Like I kind of got taken up. Listen, in the end, we got to do this job, right? Like we got to go up right. and knock, <laughs> knock these stand-ups out. Right. But that's how powerful the place is. I remember the first time I was on tour, it was a full Miami Heat team tour. And we had a tour guide and everything was awesome, right? Right. Man, you hit that, you hit that hotel room. You come around that yeah. bed. And, and for mm -hmm. folks that have never been, like they bring you into Dr. King's hotel room. You go out on the balcony as a part of the tour. It's, it just, it makes your skin crawl. <laughs> you know, at least for me, it did. You know, it just, it did. It just oh, it made does. me feel like I was back. Like, like, you know, those sequences in movies that, you know, everything gets all wavy and all of a sudden yeah. you're back in that moment. And, um, man. Unreal. And then you start, for me, then I start contemplating the moment on the other Correct. side. Correct. The guy right. in the window. Mm. Uh, and being coerced or committed to this task, whatever the case may be, I'm sure that's going to be debated for all time. Always. Um, always. And pulling that trigger, knowing what you're gunning down and the lack of humanity and compassion mm -hmm. and understanding that must be at the core of you as a human being. Like it's, it's I'm glad you went, man. I'm glad you went. And uh, some amazing yeah. people keep that thing going, as you noted. It is. Are the security guard school in you. They have great scholars that work there, obviously. A wonderful PR yeah. team. Uh, curators that are off the charts. And, um, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's something else, man. And, again, I think both of us are co-signing. Uh, make sure you go. <laughs> when you're Make in sure you go. Yeah, it is. You know, um, I've, I said I, I went to, uh, you know, I've been to the monument uh, over in D.C. You know, I wanted to see the, yeah. uh, the MLK monument. Uh -huh. um, you know, when I got to D.C., there's always something I got. But like I said, when I go to a city, I got to go see something. Right. And I know when when I got to D.C., um, you know, I, I wanted to go check out that. I saw that definitely had some of the same emotions because you can actually visually see the face of Dr. King in his uh, in his monument. And you're like, wow, just how powerful that is. But, you know, like I said, I got to the Lorraine Motel uh, and I got there at a time where it, it was closing up. And so they had just closed up. And so he said, oh, man, you missed it. But if you anything you want to know, you can ask me. Right. And so me and the security guard, we literally just had a, just a conversation about 10 minutes. And we just talked. And and the the, uh, the one thing that did stick out to me, though, Jax, that the people who also visit are also white people, people yeah. who aren't of color. Like, it's not just something that is just a remembrance for African-American folks and people of color. I was taken back by the amount of people who weren't of color that came out and you could see the, the, the in their face of, 
why did this have to happen? You know what I mean? Of, I, I can't believe this kind of thing. And it, it was shocking. And I helped some people take some pictures and I mean, they helped me out, take a picture. So it was, it was kind of a unique um, part of the trip or the visit of uh, people now seeing people come together in this moment too, as well. Yeah. I mean, we're taught in school about James O. Ray. There's this Lloyd Jowers who also apparently might've been a part of the perpetration of this assassination. That one makes your head explode. If you get into the right. Lloyd Jowers part of the story, that's the one that starts including government agencies, the Memphis police, the mafia, like it yeah. gets, it makes your head starts going, Oh my Lord. <laughs> like just, just release the file so we could, so we could read through and get a feel for what in the yes. world possibly happened on that day. But, um, the Civil Rights Museum is second to none. That adjacent trip as a part of the tour through the Lorraine Motel will, um, if, you, if you got a soul, that'll bring you to your knees. It's, it's quite Absolutely. Nice. Let's take a quick break. When we come back here on Forward Progress, my man Kirk held it down. Appreciate you, brother. <laughs> as uh, we, we have a conversation with Keyshawn Johnson and Bob Glauber about their new literary production the forgotten first wonderful story that kirk and uh Keyshawn probably hold near and dear more than anybody else as it's the inspiring story about the black pioneers who uh, completely changed the national football league in the year of my mother's birth 1946 more on that when we come back <laughs> right here on forward progress You're listening to Forward Progress on Sirius XM Radio. Welcome back to Forward Progress. Kirk Morrison, Jason Jackson here on Sirius XM. And get right to our next guest. These two guys who I love following, love their work as always. Bob Glaber. He's the 36 years of experience, the recipient of the 2021 Career Achievement Award by the Pro Football Writers of America. And my guy, the 1996 number one overall draft pick in the NFL and Super Bowl 37 champion, Keyshawn Johnson, you two guys have a venture right now. That's something I think that people need to know. It's a story that needs to be told. And I'm going to start with you, Keyshawn. Um, the Forgotten First is the title of the book. Tell me, how did this collaboration come about and what kind of put this on your heart to get involved? Uh, it came it came together really through Bob. Um, Bob, Bob had somewhat of an idea, um, you know, that that you know, came up with all the unrest that was going on in our communities. Uh, so, you know, your wheels start to spin a little bit. And when Bob first approached me about it, he gave me this idea about uh, joint venturing and writing a book about the Forgotten First, which is obviously Kenny Washington, you know, was a former UCLA star and was the first black All-American in, in school history back in like 1939, or, yeah, 38, 39. And, um, you know, obviously Woody Stroh and, and Mary Motley and Bill Willis are the other, the other three uh, players that this is about. Two of them, which obviously one was signed, Kenny Washington, the other was drafted uh, in Woody Stroh and then Bill Willis and Mary Motley uh, with the Cleveland Browns. So you, you look back at all of those sort of things. And then so as Bob started to formulate and put everything together and we started talking about it, it just became one of those projects that you say, you know what, I got to be a part of this because 
this is this is history. And this is a part of history that as a young black man growing up in South Central L.A., I was not told about. I was told about Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks and, and Malcolm X. I was told about those sort of things, but I wasn't told about this. I mean, obviously, Jackie Robinson, uh, you know, in number 42 and everything that went on uh, in 1947 when, you know, when he played his first game as a Brooklyn Dodger, now, all that was a part of it. But this this story in itself was not part of what your textbooks or what your curriculum was was in history in school growing up. So I felt like, oh, okay, I could be a part of something that is a part of history. You know, Bob, you've been covering the NFL for a long time, but this story in particular, what captured you? What drove you to want to put this story out there? Well, Kirk, you know, I, as you said, I've been covering the NFL for a long time, since 1985. And right. um, I think you just kind of take for granted that, it's an integrated sport and it's a highly integrated sport right now, approximately 70% of the NFL is African-American. And I was in the giants locker room a couple of years ago, just thinking, you know, this, this came about, I like, how did this locker room come about? You know, the, the diversity of this locker room come about. And I'm like, okay, well, there's gotta be a first African-American player in NFL history. And, you know, in terms of the modern NFL, and I, I did not know. Uh, I had to look up on my phone. Um, oh, it's Kenny Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and then Woody Strode and, and Bill Willis and Marion Motley with the All-American co- uh, Football Conference from Paul Brown in 1946. So it was, I'm like, I should know this stuff. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a professional football writer and I don't know it. So if I don't know it, chances are a lot of people don't know it. And you go to any person. I talked to Keyshawn about this. I said, Key, you know, who's the first African-American baseball player in modern modern MLB history? Well, you know, Jackie Robinson, of course. And, right. and you know, we he didn't know I, I, right off the top of his head. Then, oh, can he watch? You know, oh, oh, yeah, that's right. So this story has not been told an awful lot. And we both thought it was important. We connected within, I'd say it was within two minutes that Keyshawn kind of gravitated toward this story and fell in love with the idea. And we were like, we were off to the races. It's called The Forgotten First. Kenny Washington, Woody Strode, Marion Motley, Bill Willis, and the breaking of the NFL color barrier. Keyshawn Johnson, Bob Glauber joining me, Kirk Morrison, Jason Jackson here on Forward Progress. Keyshawn, what, what, what do you know today now uh, about this story that you wish you would have known possibly before or maybe could have educated younger players about this history that I think so many don't know? Well, there's so much, Kirk, that you learn about everything, you know, just just pre-me playing in 1996 in the National Football League. Um, you think about the NFL when they didn't willingly integrate, you know, football players and, and kind of just went along with what the the owner in, in George Preston Marshall decided he wanted to do with his team back in, you know, 1930-something when he was the owner of the Washington, at the time it was the Washington Redskins, but obviously it's, it's uh, changed the name since then. Um, but you think about all of the things that his bigotry led to, um, that, that, I didn't know about. Like, I just didn't, I just figured, oh, it wasn't black players playing football. And, you know, and then a few that we did see. But the reintegration, I think, 
in terms of getting that 12 year hiatus um, from flip is from, from, from that 12 year hiatus that was in 1934 to 1946 was a, was a gap that was there. And you didn't know, I didn't know that. I had no idea. So you learn about, you learn a little bit about that. Um, you know, you just, you just keep learning more and more about the fact that Kenny Washington, you know, my neighborhood, which sort of kind of the neighborhood that I grew up in is not too far from where he grew up. Didn't know about that because typically in LA, famous football players, you know about them. I mean, it's the story of basketball, baseball. People talk about them all mm-hmm. the time. Like, oh, this guy lived over here. This guy used to live in a house over there. Or Sugar Ray Robinson, the boxing great, lived right here in this house. You didn't know anything about Kenny Washington at all. So you learn through digging through all of these sort of things. Like, I didn't know that he was backfield mates with Jackie Robinson, and they wow. formed two of the greatest tandems in college football in the backfield. You didn't know that at UCLA. Um, you know, just just all of those little tidbit things. Um, you learn that, you know, the Washington football team at the time, which was the Washington Redskins, kind of did some things to go down south to play because they knew that African-American players couldn't play in the south. So they deliberately held games in the south so we didn't have an opportunity to play. Or you learn later on, that uh, Mr. Brown hid letters from the players when they were in Florida playing. Wow. And they didn't make the trip to the Florida game, and he hid the letters because the racism and the threats and the bigotry and all of those sort of things took place, and he didn't want his players to be afraid, so he decided to not tell them, withhold the information, but not take them on the trip to play. And and you kind of try to parallel that with society today it's kind of like in a in an instance it's kind of like the same stuff to be honest with you right it's just back then it was a little more egregious where it's not now you know bob one of the things that i was thinking about too and and just this whole entire story that you guys uh, got going the the forgotten first is at the time that our, our country was in at that moment right we're talking about the 40s the 30s the 40s and 50s bob this was a baseball country I mean, it was America's pastime. So nobody really cared too much about football. There was two, there were so many different leagues, not just the NFL, the AFL. There was a lot going. But with, with that being said, though, if, if you put this situation sort of now where football is king, how different do you think had football back then been the number one sport in America, how quickly it would have been integrated? That's a great question. Um, and I think the answer is that it might not have been integrated as quickly as, as, as it, it should have. And, and, and back then, Kirk, you know, the country was in a depression. Right. Racism flared as a result of that. White people didn't want black people taking their jobs. That was part of it in the NFL. Um, and then World War II comes, and African-American soldiers are fighting side by side with white soldiers. And sometimes, you know, those platoons were, were, were still segregated, but, but collectively the United States was defeating Nazism and the Japanese empire. So there was a lot of hand-wringing, in, especially in the black press at that time, that, hey, you know, if black soldiers are fighting for this country and beating these 
scourges in society, why shouldn't they be able to enjoy their freedoms at home? And that was a big, big theme, and that was part of the reason that there was so much pressure put on in Los Angeles in particular um, when the Coliseum was the place that the Rams wanted to move to from Cleveland. Now, Dan Reeves owned the Rams in Cleveland. He wasn't making enough money. He wanted to move the team to L.A. Thought it was going to be, you know, rubber stamp, great, you know, expand to L.A. <laughs> right. And then, the the uh, you know, a lot of the black press in L.A. said, well, you want to use the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum, a public facility built by many African-American bricklayers, masons, workers. What, and, and, you you know, why should you have this use of this facility with a segregated team? And it was a fascinating um, historical push that there's a, there's a hero sports writer in it, which I love, a guy named Hallie Harding. Uh, from a Los Angeles paper who pushed the Los Angeles Coliseum Commission to make the Rams integrate their team if they were going to use a public building. So, you know, it was a complicated history. Um, and, you know, the NFL was not the king back then like it is today. And um, but that's why maybe baseball was a bigger story with Jackie Robinson. But it also right. was that the NFL had to be forced to integrate. And it was not a willing thing like, you know, Branch Rickey did for the Los Angeles, uh, for the New York, uh, the Brooklyn Dodgers at the time that Jackie Robinson began to play. Keyshawn Johnson and Bob Glover joining Forward Progress here. I'm Kirk Morrison, along with Jason Jackson. And Key, now when you think about a lot of these players and currently in the NFL who don't necessarily know this history of the NFL, how can outside of what you got, you and Bob are doing, how can we celebrate these players? How can we get these stories even more out there so guys can understand how far this game has come? Well, first of all, it, it, it's start, starting with somebody like yourself, mm -hmm. interviews, pushing it, also working with the NFL, working with the Cleveland Browns, the Los Angeles Rams, uh, plenty of platforms that we're on uh, to push this information that's out there to celebrate it. And I think the NFL is going to be working with us and doing a good job of trying to make sure that this is out there so that the players can gravitate to it and understand it and, and really follow their history and not just think that, you know, it, it football was like made and we all played and everybody was kumbaya. Cause I don't think that we know the deep roots a part of how the NFL took place, how it shaped things up. Like, we don't know those stories. Um, right. But I think, by, again, by the platforms and uh, getting the message out there through our social medias and things of that nature, it will certainly uh, catch people's eyes. You know, Bob, I know always one of the difficult things on the cutting room floor in the final edits of a book or a movie you got to leave some stuff out. You got to push some stuff in. How difficult was it to, you know, make sure you get as much as you can in because there's probably more stories that we don't even know that could probably be squeezed in there. Well, I hope we got them all in because <laughs> Kirk, there is a lot. There was right. a lot. And it's so like, it's so layered and, and complicated and you're dealing with human emotion. You're dealing with historical racism. You're dealing with um, people trying to do the right thing. And, you know, one thing that was, really interesting is, you know, so all the teams in, in the 30s and 40s did not sign black players, right? right? 
so there are four teams left over from that time that are still in the NFL today. That's the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers, Chicago Bears, Arizona Cardinals, and um, that there is one more that's that's not coming to me right now. But all, all those owners now their grandfathers participated in the ban on black players. All of wow. those owners, from the Mara family to the Rooney family, to the Hallis family in Chicago, to the Bidwill family in Arizona. I think I got them all. The Giants were the other one. Um, They are among the most progressive owners in terms of promoting diversity in the NFL. That seemed pretty fascinating because um, we got a couple of the Rooney's, uh, Art Rooney's uh, grandson, um, Jim Rooney, said that Art Rooney called that the biggest mistake of his life. This is the beloved chief in Pittsburgh. And he called that the greatest mistake of his life to not challenge the fact that there were no black players in the NFL when he bought the Steelers back in the 30s. And I found that fascinating. So there's genuine reflection among those owners who are the grandsons of the of the people who participated in that ban, whether it was Overt or not, the fact was no black players played from 34 to 45. Um, that was that was pretty instructive and, and and pretty interesting. I got one last question for you both. Um, in, in finishing this book, and I'll start with you, Keyshawn, on this one. What do you want people to take away after they read this book? What do you want people to say? Wow. I think for me, Kirk, it's probably going to be one of those deals where you want them to be educated and and really know what it was to be discriminated against, but how somehow we've come this long ways and African-American players or black players have the highest percentage in the National Football League in terms of numbers of players um we're dominating the national football league where you know however many years it was 75 years ago whatever the number was we couldn't even get a sniff Mm. um but we've come so far with continued growth to come but i want them to be able to understand if you work at it and you keep striving for it you will get positive results from it you will have people that or politicians in Los Angeles that said to themselves, you know what, if you're going to come and play in a public setting in an environment that the public is paying for, then you need to have people that look like us on the field too. And on the team too, like all of those sort of things. And even in today's society, in the world we live in, we get some of that to this day where diversity is extremely of importance, but we fought diverse issues way back then. And we still fighting them now. Yeah, same with you, Bob. After reading this book, what do you what do you want the, the big takeaway for people? Yeah, I don't know if I could say it much better than Keyshawn just did, but um, kind of along those lines, just to tell the story of a story that should be told and 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 people don't know about. You know, the NFL, like you said, Kirk, is the biggest sport in the country right now, one of the biggest right. in the world, and people don't know this story. Right. I. I'm amazed by it, and, I, and hopefully this will, will draw attention to, to four pioneers who did so much for the sport, and maybe they didn't realize it at the time, but they did, 
And on their shoulders are people like, you know, today's players, Keyshawn Johnson, Kirk Morrison. These guys were, were trailblazers. And I don't know, I don't know that enough people know about it and know their stories. And they're, I, I tell you, we fell in love with the stories of these guys, and they're so different. Kenny Washington, such pizzazz as an athlete. Woody Strode turned into a, a, a famous actor for 50 years. Right. And the, 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 the character in Toy Story, Woody Pride, played by Tom <laughs> Hanks, he's named after Woody Strode. Yeah. <laughs> because he, he was, Woody died the year before those, those movies came out. Um, Bill Willis and Mary Molly, two of the finest human beings that ever walked the planet. Um, and Paul Brown, who had the courage of his convictions to give black players a chance at a time when people weren't doing it. He is the branch Ricky of the NFL without people realizing, you know, what lengths he went to to bring black players into pro football. Mm. The book is called The Forgotten First. Kenny Washington, Woody Strode, Marion Motley, Bill Willis, and the breaking of the NFL color barrier. Brought to you by Keyshawn Johnson and Bob Glauber. Hey, guys, I can't wait. I know the book drops this week. I can't wait to read it. I know you guys put a lot of work into it, but but today, appreciate the time. And, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see where this where this book takes us, because I think it's going to be one of many as people start to want to know more and more about these stories. Appreciate it, uh, Keyshawn. Thanks appreciate a lot. All right, boss. Okay. Thank you, Kirk. Thank you very much for having us. Kirk, I, I hate that I missed that conversation with you, but I'm so glad you had it. Um, the thing that, that stands out most to me, first of all, is just getting these names on the tape. Right. You know, so mm. that the, the young black quarterbacks of today can, first of all, have a full understanding of why they're able to stand in that position in an offensive backfield. <laughs> Yeah, you're right, man. It's a, uh, you know, I think it's a story that needed to be told because it's not told enough, you know, and I like Jackie Robinson, we all know who that is. And mm. it, for baseball, it's been great, but it's been great for sports all over. But when it comes to football, um, football is a little bit different, right? Yeah. Football is, is something that, you know, the college ranks, high school ranks, it was all segregated, you know, and think about what the, the fabric of the, HBCU was, was giving guys opportunities to play football, right. you know, and I, I think that's, that's part of the story that a lot of people forget a lot of times is that players were segregated and not allowed to play. And then finally people realized like, look, <laughs> these athletes are really good. They're as equal as we are. They deserve the same opportunity, but there are, like you mentioned, Jax, there are players who crawled so that we can walk. Come on, man. Amazing conversation. The Forgotten First. Make sure you pick it up as soon as possible. Take a quick break. When we come back, Kirk called for it. Now we're going to talk about it. Uh, man, every league wants to control at some point the level in which spontaneous celebration occurs. When we come back, we'll see what's up latest uh, in the National Football League specific, specifically, I should say, uh, but something that will radiate throughout professional sports. When we come back here on Forward Progress. You're listening to Sirius XM Radio. Radio. We now return to Forward Progress. Here's Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison. Welcome back to the program. It's Morrison. It's Jackson. A reminder to celebrate 
Live is alive. Sirius XM is giving current subscribers a chance to win two tickets to 12 of the biggest events on the 2022 sports calendar, plus cash for travel costs and expenses. One winner and guest will get a chance to travel the country and experience 12 marquee events, including Super Bowl 56. Kirk will be there. The NBA Finals, I plan to be there. <laughs> and the World Series, mm-hmm. courtesy of SiriusXM. For official rules and to enter, go to SiriusXM.com slash ultimate sports fan. No purchase necessary. Open to current SiriusXM subscribers as of July 21st, 2020. Ends October 15th, 2021. Void where prohibited. My man, we saw a headline. Let's dive into it. It was a column in USA Today about this. this Dumb taunting rule. As they, this is, I'm reading their headline. Dumb NFL taunting rule, which hurts the sport, is really about control of black bodies. Mercy. <laughs> there ain't no nuance there. Um, oh, yeah. So let me come out first of all and say there are plenty of white players that celebrate right in the moment. Get called for taunting. All right. So now can we get right. that? We'll get, we establish that as our baseline, right? Correct. Um, why would uh, this writer, do you believe, um, Mike Freeman, get into this space on this issue? I, I think Freeman's is, and he's a guy who we've had on this program, so we know him very well. And Mike is a guy who does not pull I mean, hold back punches. Mm-hmm. Um, he dives a little bit deeper into something that people may not see. So when people say, oh, taunting bro, it's good for the NFL. As a former player, I'm not in agreement with the whole taunting rule. I, I I love that guys go out and compete and go up against. Um, it is hard to be successful in the NFL. And to go up one-on-one or to make a tackle on the open field and to get up and I, I wouldn't say be too demeaning in the face of a person, but to get up and say, yeah, I got you. What you going to do? Let's go. It is the competition that for me – is what fueled me. It is what I've seen from whether, and look, predominantly the NFL is played by African-Americans, right? I think it's what close to 70%, I believe the numbers that I saw Mm -hmm. of recent that, and a lot of players grew up playing on the street, uh, at the park, you know, pop Warner football. That's where I learned how to, if you didn't learn how to handle what's going on in your own spot, how are you going to handle when you get to the NFL? Right. Because I, I've be, trust me, taunting has been going on for a long time, and and they're not calling taunting in high school and Pop Warner, right? In middle school, somebody runs right by you and they put up the two fingers like Tyrese Hill saying "peace out." I don't think that's wrong. Hey man, that dude is just faster than me. But I get it. The NFL is trying to clean up its image, but I think that is part of the game because immediately what I laugh at is that when these occurrences do happen, Jax they end up leading the local highlights. Like, check out what happened after this play. Because it it, it highlights the, the not only the play, but the guys are having fun. It is all about the show. And, and if guys can't hold their emotions in terms of fighting, people say, well, we don't want to see a brawl. We don't want to see a fight. Well, guess what? It won't be. If you say, hey, look, if you fight or you do this and do that, or you make contact with another person, that's that's it. Okay, you're you're gone or you're getting fined. But back and forth jawing and taunting that I know I experienced as a player, 
man, those are some of the best parts of the game. Those that was the hidden parts of the game that people didn't necessarily see. But you know, one on one, Jacks, come on, man, one on one on the outside, a cornerback, wide receiver, and the receiver scores the touchdown. He gets up and lets a guy know, ah, yeah, what you like. That's not that's not necessarily taunting to me. That's okay. That's a play that was made, and now the quarterback is going to go back, and he's going to go and try to make a play. It's part of football, man. Well, I think what you have to advance here is just human understanding, right? Correct. Number one is let us not ever think, and this is where I think fans, particularly old school fans, get a little lost in the weeds. It's hard to win. Yes. It's hard to win. It's hard to win. Very hard. It's hard to win a half. It's hard to win a game. And I think we get really, really distanced from that idea because we don't do that type of work. Right? Right. We, have, we, we first of all, most of us aren't blessed with what you came out the womb with, Kurt. Okay? Right? <laughs> and then you took that and you worked. Mm-hmm. Right? You right. learned the game. You worked your body. Uh, you elevated from Pop Warner to high school to college to the pros, your understanding of schemes and mechanisms in this game. And because you know that you were scheming all week for that one play, <laughs> oh, man. and you jumped it or <laughs> offensively, they saw right. what you were trying to do. Everything that you knew you should do is clicking. The joy of that single moment due to all that preparation is what competition is all about and so what radiates the exuberance or the misery from that moment is going to be at the highest level i don't know why people can't connect with that type of euphoria but it's really hard to have your excel spreadsheet do everything you want it to do and have the same (laughs) joy and radiation i'm not crushing people that that deal with excel all day all i'm saying is is that just understand you don't get it like just work yeah. from the premise that I don't understand how hard it is to be successful in a moment in professional sports, in a moment, let alone the game. So therefore, I can't even relate to what's happening. Now, I would draw a hard line, right? If you're all up in somebody's face, if you throw a football at somebody, if there's yes. contact, there it is. Flat, right? Right. But if, man, if we're just talking, right? And I see it all the time <laughs> in the movie. Yes. We're just talking. We're just talking. We're just talking. Like, then you got to let that happen. A dude comes down the lane, full wine, tomahawk, bang. Right. Well, you know, just run down to the other end. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Jackson. I mean, you better get back on D, but I'm saying, like, let that be the consequence. Man, one of the great. One of the great dunks of all time, right? One of the great dunks of all time for me. Mm-hmm. And I was a big Sean Kemp fan growing up. But you remember when Sean Kemp, I forget who he dunked on. I know it was Sonics at Warriors. And he dunked on him. <laughs> Look, and he didn't get in his face. He didn't do it, but he did that little point. <laughs> I swear to God, that was that was amazing. And it to me, it wasn't. It wasn't a sense of, oh, he's taunting at him. No, he's like, hey, I got you. And it was fun. And it wasn't to where I'm in your face. And in the heat of battle, man, things are going to happen like that. And you mentioned it. You draw the line and say, look, taunting cannot be contact or doing something in the area of a player 
turn your back to him, do something else, but don't put it to where it, yeah. it's physically touching or demeaning or you know someone's going at it. Because there's different ways to go about celebrating, but not in that manner to where you're contacting somebody. Yeah, listen, we see the intensity even on the same team, right? Right. Cornerbacks and DBs, like, in mad competition <laughs> of who's going to yeah. get this done. These are the cats getting the biggest money these days next to quarterbacks to compete and be successful. In the moment, it seems really serious and heated. It's not. It's competition. It's not. Yeah. It's, it's competition. not. Yeah. Guys you know, draw I, off I, of that. They I draw off that and, 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 and here's the thing. The thing that Mike makes the point of that I think is really important to get in before we get out the door is that through slavery, reconstruction, Jim Crow, segregation, separate but equal to the civil rights movement. It's always been this idea of got to control these black men. Right. We don't, know, we don't want them looking at our white women, right? Let's go all the way back uh -huh. now. Right. We don't want anybody back talking. We want control. Correct. Right. From, from day one, of the transatlantic slave trade, the biggest fear for the controller, the owner, the overseer was, man, if these cats rise up, we might be in trouble. Does that still have an underpinning in this? Probably not overtly. Right. But there is this underpinning of trying to control a league that's predominantly black and has a lot of energy. Now, listen, there's a lot of white men in this league that love the culture, that are deep into hip hop, that love the energy, right? And right. enjoy their moments of success at a high level as well. So I want to counter that it's not just a black issue, but it, mm. it, it does reap of that need to control brothers in a way that uh, we'll push back on at all times. Oh, yeah. I mean, we, I think, you know, we're going to add on to this conversation in the future, but yeah. it, it is to where some folks have only played a game a certain way their entire life and they want that game to still be played that way. But I enjoy the, the, the pageantry. I enjoy the flamboyance of players going back and forth just as much as I like it in baseball. <laughs> you know, I like the bat flips. That's not taunting. That's just doing job well done. Yeah, that's I did it. I did it. Hope you enjoyed this. <laughs> I did it. Yeah. Progress. We want to note all forward progress episodes from our very first one, which I believe are we are we beyond. I think we're beyond 50 episodes. Oh, we're beyond a year. Oh, yeah. Uh, to, yeah, I think this, this might be episode 52 um, to uh, <laughs> the latest one. This one right here, all available on demand or wherever you listen to podcasts. For our producer, Brunel Brown, my partner, Kirk Morrison. I'm Jason Jackson. We'll talk to you next time.